the point of this is to provide the best facts-driven show that we possibly can. Ideally, you have a glue guy. Who is good? Hashtag glue guy. Hashtag locker room guy. You can't go sign Bobby Holik to a trillion dollars. You can't do these things. Very satisfying. The absolute best NYR show in town. This is the Liberty Blue. Liberty Blue. Rangers Podcast. Rangers Podcast. With Andrew Shelby. Andrew Shelby. And Nick Zoraris. Zoraris. Welcome to Liberty Blue, the best Rangers podcast in town. I'm Andrew Chelney alongside Nick Zararis. We scream about the Rangers so that you don't have to. This is episode 76, live on Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube, and we are available wherever you get your podcasts as well. Nick, they beat the Flames, who, by the way, looked terrible in the Heritage Classic last night. They shut out the Oilers. They probably didn't deserve to beat Vancouver, but they did anyway. And if they beat Winnipeg tonight, well, according to Molly Walker, it'll be the first time in franchise history Rangers will win every game on a road trip consisting of at least five games. They look good. Hey, when you're a team that's been around since, like, you know, there were six teams in the league and they played with wooden sticks and smoked cigarettes and had day jobs, that that's an accomplishment. That's something to feel good about. In theory, you know, this is, in a vacuum, the best the NHL's ever been. That will continue to be true the further you're into the future you go because the worst player in the league is going to have to keep getting better to stay in the league. So to do that now, that's an accomplishment. That's something to feel good about, especially in respect to the thought that coming into the first month of the season, we assumed there would be more ugliness than this and they've had moments where it's been a little clunky there's the nashville game the columbus game weren't great they didn't play great against vancouver but they hung around just enough that their star players were able to steal them a game even getting to overtime alone in vancouver felt kind of like an accomplishment based on how they played a lot of penalties and vancouver's good vancouver has played really well to come out of the gate so that's a game you feel good about because it, it's very cliche and i was talking about this with somebody as soon as the game ended on saturday night bleeding in a Sunday morning, good teams find ways to win those types of games. Bad teams find way to lose those close games. Teams that are right around that cut line, that second wild card, that first wild card, that's the type of game those teams lose. Those are the types of games that less talented teams with players who aren't as good as Shesterkin and Zabinijad and Kreider and Panarin, those types of teams lose that game. The Rangers star players delivered in a game. They didn't have their A. They probably didn't even have a, their B-plus game on Saturday night, and they still found a way to win. Uh, kudos. Great win. Good to see Zabinijad finally get on the sheet. It's been coming. It's going to come. A guy like him, like I said during the game, someone that good, if they're missing the net, they're not getting bounces, it'll come around eventually. And – and, you know, you tweeted this the other day as well that, you know, Zabinajad's not scoring right now and all these things. But as I as I replied to you, it's like I would so much rather this happen now than in June. We have to we have to think about it this way. Like the third line's not scoring a whole lot. The fourth line's not scoring a whole lot. That's not a secret, right? <laughs> they, they've had their offensive struggles. I would much rather this be happening now as opposed to come playoff time, they're not doing anything offensively. And, and, and here's the thing about that, too, is that because they're not doing anything now offensively, Chris Drury is on high alert of like, okay, we're winning a bunch of games with our bottom six guys not putting up much on the score sheet. I need to now find a, find a way 
to bolster this bottom six scoring wise come the deadline. He looks at the score sheet because he's probably not looking at he's probably not looking at the analytics. He'll he'll look at the he'll look at the box score and see Blake Wheeler another offer. He'll see Jimmy Vesey another offer. He'll see you know whoever else is on the fourth line as an offer. Barkley Goudreau. When when. When, when, when are you going to appear on the score sheet, Mr. Goudreau? But like he sees, he sees all these guys and they're not contributing on the score sheet. Eventually he's going to realize, oh, this is, this is an issue. We're winning games right now, but you know, what, what would be a lot easier if the bottom six would score, that would put a lot of pressure off of everybody else. And then they're just going to keep winning because everyone's scoring like I would so much rather this happen now as opposed to June. And you mentioned it like. Prior to the season, we were expecting to see growing pains. I was expecting to see maybe not quite the, the Marty Biron retirement game, but like I was expecting to see something along the lines of those kinds of games where people didn't know their assignments, people didn't know what exactly they, they were expected to do on specific plays. This team just looks good. Like, players know where they're supposed to be, what they want to do, what they think they should be doing. They're, I feel like there's a lot more cohesion now than there was under Gallant, and it just it looks like a team that has been together for a while, but now things are clicking. Saturday night was a good win. That was the type of win, like, I was actively... When Miller scored, I actively stood up, pounded my chest, yelled out a let's fucking go, and felt really good about Because they didn't deserve to win that game. No. But it was exciting. It was back and forth. There was a lot of opportunities for both teams. Both goalies played outstanding. And that's what's been very interesting so far about the Rangers. As you mentioned, they're kind of still, they're not scoring a ton, but they're controlling the puck for long stretches. They're in the offensive zone and they're not doing a lot in the offensive zone yet. They're just chilling in the offensive zone, which fundamentally is okay. You don't have to, you don't have to do a lot every single time you get to the zone. There are going to be shifts where you don't get an offensive scoring chance where it's just, you sent the puck in, you pressured for a second, you peeled out, you went for a change. The other team re- group went back the other way that happens the, for the rangers to get to that next tier of where everything is clicking it's going to be more offense and like we were talking about before in regards to zabinijad the fact that he isn't really putting the puck in the net yet same thing with Kreider at five on five same thing with kako at five on five it's gonna happen eventually because they are in the offensive zone so much and because even if they aren't scoring a whole lot at five on five, the power play is still doing their job. The defense has been actively good. This is not a case of the last couple of years where it's hold on for dear life and then our best players make plays and we find a way. The defense is actively good. They are not conceding dangerous scoring chances for the most part. They are doing a better job of passing guys off, communicating around the net front. And most importantly, and I'm going to keep emphasizing this because we hammered this so much in the offseason, they are getting the puck out of the zone quickly and getting to offense. They are not turning the puck over. They are not looking to go laterally. They are going forward and out of the zone, short, crisp passes, or skating the puck out of danger. And that's something I've wanted for a while because in a straight line, Truba, Kreider's, Binajad, Lindgren, all decent straight line speed wise skaters where they, if they're not being pressured, tell them to skate it out of the skate it out of danger and then pass. You don't have to pass. And it's the key to being a good team, frankly, in most of these zones, in all three zones of the game is to keep your feet moving 
don't just move the puck, move your feet. And that's something the Rangers, and you wanted to hit on the neutral zone. That's something that has been the case so far this year. They are moving their feet and they are a lot more engaged. One of the things I've noticed, particularly over the course of these past couple of games that they've done a really good job of is when the team is going off on a change, instead of just throwing it in the into the offensive zone, what they'll do a lot of the times, if you notice, I think like Panarin's really good at this, is he'll take it to the neutral zone and then spin around and pass it back to his defenseman, get off the ice. They could they keep possession alive and then they'll get a change, get three new forwards on the ice, but they keep possession and then they can hammer the offensive zone. That has been the one of the best changes I've seen the Rangers incorporate this season. Instead of just throwing it away and then playing more defense after a change, they're keeping possession. They're not just throwing it away and saying, all right, well, all right, next three forwards, you're up because we're, we're done, we're tired. No, they're, they're getting new forwards on. They're in the middle of a change, but they, they're keeping the puck alive. They're, they're kind of wasting a couple of seconds here to get people off and people on. And then they're taking the puck and entering the offensive zone, trying to create chances that way. And if there's no space, then you dump it with three fresh forwards. And then with with that energy, you go in and then you attack. That was such that's such a great change the Rangers have made to this point. Hopefully that continues. Cause it all that does is one, maintain puck possession, but two, makes you play less defense, which creates more offense. You are keeping possession you are maintaining it now the other team is like okay we got we got to get off the ice quickly because they have they have the puck they didn't dump it in our defenseman doesn't have it behind our own net waiting for us to change they have it so we're we're under a lot of i don't want to say a lot of stress because you know the regs are changing too in that in that situation but like we're under a time limit we got to get off as quickly as we can because we are not in control of what happens after people change what used to be the case is they the rangers which would dump it they would dump it they would change the other team would then take as much time as they as they choose and now they're in control yeah they, the rangers have flipped that now they're in control and that's a change that I've really loved out of LaViolette's system thus far, and I hope that continues. It does look a lot crisper. There is a real, I don't want to say it's like otherworldly attention to detail, but the little things do matter. It's the four, It's the guy sending the puck into the offensive zone by himself, knowing, all right, I got to waste 12 seconds so we can change everybody else off the ice, but I got to make this four check so that way we can maintain. That was something we were a little concerned about coming into the season was they didn't have a ton of guys with great four checking instincts. Lafreniere has done a solid job of that as somebody who that's been in his game, but it just hasn't been that present for quite a while so it's encouraging to see that it's encouraging to see as you mentioned the better neutral zone play and i pulled some stuff from the nhl's website the new stats tracking website they pulled out the nhl edge site which is it's useful there's still you know we've only played 10 11 games so a lot of this data still needs to be sifted through and we need more data to accurately you know pinpoint some of this stuff but at five on five they are 75th percentile of offensive zone time. That's good. We're above average. We're in the offensive zone. Like We're winning below. the Super Bowl. Because after watching what happened prior to this season, this is just, I can't believe what I'm watching. This is incredible. But the caveat to that is they're still 50 below 50th percentile in scoring chances, which brings back to something we have known is true forever. 
The Rangers are a selective team. They are content with going to the offensive zone, cycling, and if the chance isn't there, they're not going to force it. They're going to keep overpassing until a point of frustration, frankly, but they are not going to try and they are not going to settle. They are trying to maximize every single offensive zone time, every bit of offensive zone time they get. And this is something Josh and I always talk, Josh Califin and I always talk about is they overchoose which means that because they're not in the offensive zone as much in the past, now that they're in the offensive zone, maybe we can talk a little bit more about, hey, let's shoot a little bit more. But in the past, generally speaking, I was okay with as less offensive zone time because typically speaking, when they got there, they were doing more with the average offensive zone time than other teams because they were only getting to the offensive zone 40, 50 times a game as opposed to 55, 60 like some other teams, you knew the average scoring chance they created was going to be inherently more dangerous because they were going to take their time and wait for a good look. Now, we know they're still doing that and they're in the offensive zone a little bit more. So we there are levels to this. They are building themselves up to get to a place where we can really see something special at five on five. And that's what we've been clamoring for because as Saturday showed, as last Thursday showed, the power play's humming. Power play looks good. There's been lots of wrinkles and added dimensions. We're seeing more deflections this year, which, you know, deflections are kind of tricky to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Carry over. That's something that's tricky to replicate because, you know, that's that requires a lot to go right. There's a lot of variables that go into a tip and play working, but it's worked for them. They've scored quite a few. I know Panarin's last week, uh, excuse me, Trocheck's off of Panarin's last week. Then against Vancouver, they got one. It's really encouraging that they are giving themselves multiple ways to play, something you've harped on a lot, that if Gallant's plan A didn't work, they didn't have a plan B. Now, at the very least, they have alternatives when things aren't working. Yeah, and I mean, I tweeted this, I think it was yesterday, and a lot of people with no followers have been angry at me for this, but like, Gerard Gallant, people love making revisionist history when it comes to the Rangers, especially like, Gerard, the Rangers made the Eastern Conference Final in the first year under Gerard Gallant. People love to forget that if Truba did knock out Crosby, and Louis Domingue wasn't the Penguin starter in the in the final games of that series. The Rangers do not win that series. They don't come. And even then, Crosby's out. Louis Domingue is in net, and it took for Panarin to score in an overtime of Game Seven for them to win that series. People love to forget that. Like that, the Penguins should have won the series very handily. They didn't. But like that, that's realistically what should have happened. And then they got blown out by the Devils in the first round last season. Like, yeah, there's a lot of regular season success that came under Gerard Gallant. But again, he didn't have a plan B. He never had a plan B. You can, and you can tell that. You could argue he didn't have a plan A. I, well, yeah, well, his plan A was to just hold on for dear life at five on five and just hope that Igor and the power play will will do their jobs and for them to win. Like, that, that was his entire plan. How do I know that's his entire plan? Because I watched every single Rangers game of both of Gallant's seasons. That was his only plan. You could tell that because they never practiced. They never practiced, so they never had a plan. And when you don't have a plan, you rely on your special teams and your best player in net to win you games. That is exactly what they did. So when you when you do that, you are conceding 85% of the game. 
most of the game is at five on five, which the Rangers did not do a very good job of at all under Gerard Gallant. And now they're doing a much better job under a head coach that actually wants to practice these things and actually wants to do something in the, ne- in the neutral zone. So it's it, it with with Pierre Laviolette, it's not so much about the record right now. Yeah, they're winning a lot. They're winning games. They look good doing it. But my argument here is that Gerard Gallant won a lot of games, you know, under when he was a Rangers coach. But it, a lot of those wins didn't feel like Gallant did anything to make them win. That is why I'm so against Gerard Gallant as a coach of the New York Rangers. Is because he never... It never felt like, oh, this- it's okay, Andrew. It's over. It's, it's over. It is it's over. not it, your fault, it Andrew. Is, it's it not is your over. Fault. It is over. But people with no followers got mad at me because I tweeted that out, you know, on Twitter. And it's just like, I'm not like I we we joke sometimes that we're building the statue of Laviolette and all these things. Like we we meme about that on on social media. But it's only been eight games. I'm not saying that Laviolette is going to deliver this team a Stanley Cup. I'm just it's regarding the actual structure of how this team plays. Under Gerard Gallant, they didn't have one. They just kind of hoped the refs would give them power plays and then Kreider would score or Zibanejad would score or Pernera would pass 70 times until they they banked one home, and that was that. Under Laviolette, there's actually some form of five-on-five offense. There's some sort of early cohesion. That is such a massive difference to what we've seen, and that's why... You know, again, because we talked about this in the offseason, about how unsure we were of Laviolette and his ability to transform this team. Because as we joked about, the last time he won the Stanley Cup was, you know, in, in 360p. Like, the, the, the HDTVs weren't really a thing back then. Like, that's how long it's been. So... We, we were unsure about, hey, you know, this guy's been around a long time, has been bounced around, no, no success for a long time. Can he bring a, a winning culture to the Rangers? And, and through eight games, they've won, they've won most of them, sure, but it's been off of the team structure. And how do you get structure? You coach it. You don't just get structure by not coaching. And that's kind of what we saw under Gerard Gallant, but I digress. It's always good when you can throw, but I digress at the end of your point. It always feels good. You feel, <laughs> you feel like you're doing talk radio and like uh, you feel like you're doing talk radio somewhere in the Midwest, like you're an NPR host if you throw <laughs> I digress at the end of your sentence. I mean, listen, like I it's the the, t- the tweets have get, garnered traction on social media. And like I said, people with no followers and, and definitely, definitely real accounts have gotten mad at me for it. So surely Surely they know better than uh, than me. Hey, I'm not. Listen, I'm not saying I know. I know all everything, and I'm so smart, and I'm all this you hit and the all Drewski. that. <laughs> you yeah, hit I'm the not. Drewski. Listen, I'm not. I'm not out here saying that like I'm the smartest play- person in the room. I'm not saying that like I know everything about everything there is to know about the sport. But objectively, this like you can't sit here and tell me that Gerard Gallant was the reason the Rangers made it to the conference final, and the reason Gerard Gallant. The, re- the reason that the Rangers won a lot of games those two years was because of the head coach when he didn't do anything that would make them win games in this in the eight games that the Rangers have played this season this and there's six wins you can pick and you can point to things that the Rangers are doing differently with a structure and say okay this is because of the coaching staff they changed this and because of that they're scoring more and they're winning games like it's 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 not hard to to point to point out the differences early here. That's all I'm saying. 
it's very encouraging to start. And one last point, it's something else I wrote down because I felt like it supports one of the points we made earlier, that the offense is going to come. They're shooting 6% at 5-on-5. They will start to shoot better as Zabinijad starts to score. Zabinijad's like an 11-12% shooter. That will move the Rangers' team percentage up one or two percentage points. The goals will come. Everything to indicate that there is more room for improvement. That doesn't mean changing personnel. That doesn't actually mean fundamentally altering anything. And something else I wanted to talk about briefly, the fact that they've had coherent lines for three weeks now, I do think there is something to that. And these will not be the lines all season, barring something insane. That is a 99th. 0.99999 percentile outcome where the lines are so stable you don't need to change them at all probably first bad loss they have after this streak you end up changing the lines around but you're you see it Lafreniere is playing the best hockey he's played since the playoffs two years ago if not better he is consistently involved he is carrying the puck a lot more he is taking the puck to the net he is engaging defenders in one-on-ones and making them move he is getting defenders to plant their feet, make a decision which way they want to go, getting them to move, and then using their leverage against them. He did it to Owen Power. He did it to Tyler Myers. He's done it to a a series of solid defenders. Panarin is shooting more than, frankly, he has ever. I I tweeted this during the game on Saturday. Three more shots per 60 minutes of ice time than any other season in his career. That's really encouraging, and it's part of why Hedl and Lafreniere are playing so well is they've got a guy who is a dangerous threat that other teams need to respect. Now, if you can get Zabinijad, Kreider, Kako going, and we're only really talking about Blake Wheeler, like we said last week, if we're talking about the ninth forward, that's the biggest problem, we're in really good shape. And right now, the ninth forward is the only real talking point about the team because the backup goalie's been good too. Quick has been really solid. He was great last Thursday night. That's right. Make He's making me my words. Like He, he looked terrible in preseason. He I don't did. know. He I don't had like know. an 800, not he a 900. Was, he, he was an 800. brutal. He was not like, not only was he conceding bad goals, like he was just flopping around. Like, I don't know. I don't know what he was doing for a lot of those, for a lot of those attempts at stopping the puck. And then he got to the regular season, realized, oh yeah, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. And then he like got a shutout, got like one goal against, like, what is happening? Is, is like, you know, Benoit Allaire has, has fixed and made so many goalies better, like so rapidly over the course of their careers in New York that like I'm always I'm I'm kind of afraid to ask at this point what he's doing. Like Jonathan Quick's turnaround from whatever happened last season to now to preseason to now is shocking. Like again, I I want to I want to keep pointing this out that like when when we talk about Jonathan Quick poorly or anybody poorly, we want them to be better it's not like we we like to talk negatively about people because we enjoy it right that that's not that's not the goal is for the rangers to win all 82 games we go 16 and 0 in the in the playoffs and everybody goes home happy that's that's the ideal that's not reality but that's that's the ideal so like when we point out things that could be better or players that like you know blake wheel doesn't have a point in eight games jonathan quick coming into the season looked like he was done now all of a sudden i mean blake Wheeler, no points can we get one? That'd be cool. That'd be a good start. But Jonathan Quick looks really good. <laughs> like I he don't. Was great. I he, don't. I don't. I don't even know. Like, 
what to say at that point. Like the the shutout against Edmonton, he looked he looked confident in. He looked good in. He got I forget who who else he's. I think it was Seattle. One one goal against. Like this is a goalie that all of a sudden went from flopping around like a like a fish out of water in preseason to looking good like six minutes later. I don't know what's happening. I don't. I'm afraid to ask. But you know what? As long as it's working, it's whatever. It's fine. He was actively good in the Oilers game. Like, they, he didn't have to do a lot in the game against the Kraken two weeks ago. He was actively good in the Oilers game. The Oilers had a lot of good chances, and he made plays, and that's important that you can trust your backup goalie. That's a strong start. Because other than that, the only real gripes, I mean, the fourth line is getting caved in a ton, but they aren't conceding a lot against. So you can live with that. You'd like them to be a little bit more in the offensive zone, even if it's just to have the puck down there as opposed to in their own end. But they're blocking shots. They've been really aggressively blocking shots, and that's been team-wide. That's not just the fourth line. They are going to be dinged up to all hell with how aggressive they've been blocking shots. But as long as they're going to keep doing it, I mean, it's working. They are doing a really great job defensively. Like I was looking at the heat maps earlier. They're 20% below average in terms of conceding against. They are, I don't want to say elite because, you know, we've only played eight games. But they are trending towards being one of the better defensive teams in the entire league at five on five, which is not something the Rangers have been in nine years, 10 years, the last time the Rangers were this good at five on five, especially defensively was 2014, 2015, and then 2013, 2014. So we're talking really good Rangers teams. The last time a group was playing this strong defensively. I, I genuinely like, can't believe what I'm saying. I, it, it's, it's such a turnaround from what we saw under Quinn, under Gallant, like under, you know, that it's uh, I'm always I'm almost at a disbelief as to how quickly this team it it's not only has bought in because you you because you can buy into a system and it still takes a long time for it to to appear on the ice in a consistent basis like we talked about we were we were very prepared for a bad October because that's what happened under AV and then eventually they went on the they they won a bunch of games and they made it to the you know final and all these things we were prepared for that because it's a whole new system it's a these these players have played under a head coach with one of the systems of all time if you could even call it a system because he never practiced so how can you have a system where you don't practice but that's beside the point but like when then you get to Peter Laviolette, who wants things done in a in such a specific way, and these guys have again, it's been only been eight games, but it's been it's been about a month at this point. They have incorporated small details into into their games, like things things that you wouldn't expect a team with a new head coach and a new system to have eight games into a season, like the neutral zone stuff that we talked about. Panarin shooting up the puck a lot more. There's a there's a team wide thought process of okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna block a lot of shots. Like we're all of us are gonna block a lot of shots. We're gonna skate back defensively. Panarin's been so much better defensively. I don't again. I don't know what Laviolette has told this man because Panarin prior to was never shooting the puck and he was kind of gliding defensively. This man this season is shooting everything he's got all of the time and he's hustling on defense i don't know where the stupid it might be just be the haircut maybe maybe he's maybe he's literally lighter therefore he's i don't i don't know but panarin panarin is looking like a brand new player he's looking so much more confident on both ends of the ice he's looked really good and again through eight games you would have expected a lot more 
discombobulation, I guess you could say, from from a team with a new structure. They've just looked like a team that's been playing under this under the structure for a long time. Like it's just promising. All right. The comparison I have in mind is when you have a long-term substitute teacher in school because like your teacher got pregnant or was out of work for a while. So while you have the substitute teacher, no one's really learning that much. Everyone's having fun. You're not getting graded that harshly. Whenever you take a test or hand in work, you know it's getting graded easily. You're not really learning anything though. You're just go you're there. You're you're not really that stressed out about it. But when your actual teacher comes back, and you actually need to learn something so you don't end up failing the standardized tests or the finals at the end of the year. That's kind of where the Rangers are right now is they got they got by for two years with the substitute, the long term substitute teacher where they didn't have to do a lot of work. They still got by. They got passing grades. They got graded easier than they probably should have. And then their teacher came back, looked around and went, you guys are stupid. What happened to you while I was gone? And that's what Peter Laviolette's been doing with them for the month he's had control. They just needed a little bit of structure. They needed somebody to keep them on the tracks and say, well, if you're in this situation, you do this. If you're in that type of situation, you do that. As opposed to do whatever you want. I'm just here to make sure nobody gets suspended from school for fighting. I'm just here to make sure nobody pulls the fire alarm, which is what they had the previous two years. I mean, I, I I got a tweet a few minutes ago from from at DJ NYCNY, and he said like you do win cups in October. We just went through the whole oh yeah, you know we can't just flip the switch in the playoffs thing, which I like. He makes a good point of like yeah, the the NHL isn't handing out the cup in October, but a lot of these good habits are built in October. You don't get to April say oh yeah we could just flip the switch and everything's gonna be fine and then just win the cup. We saw that literally last season and the Rangers got dumpstered by the devils. Like you can't have that attitude throughout the season that like, Oh, these games don't matter or whatever. It's fine. We'll get to game one of the playoffs. So we'll start winning. You can't do that. The Rangers learned that the hard way. So that also might be part of why they're so, you know, focused on the little things, especially early on is because last season they did none of that had the expectation of, oh, we're so much better on paper that it doesn't matter. And then they got to the playoffs where it did matter and they got their doors blown off. So that that I that's a good tweet. Like I I I don't I don't disagree with that. And it's a lot less lip servicey. Because they said that last year. Yeah. I vividly remember during an intermission one of the first games Patrick Kane was on the Rangers, him saying, well, I know I just got here, but we have to know we can't just turn it on as soon as the playoffs start, that we need to start forming good habits now. And then they did nothing to form those good habits in the final 12, 13 regular season games before the playoffs. Um, in respect to the st- stretch coming up here, Winnipeg, interesting team. They're kind of off to a weird start. You got to respect any team that has Hellebuck as far as just it's not going to be easy to score. They're a decent transition team. Someone like Nick Ehlers, I'll be very curious to see how they try and handle him. What are you looking for? We always say we'd like to come away with at least three out of every six standings points as your baseline. And then more than that, they got three games over the course of the week, which, again, like we complained about last week. Why are we only playing three games a week where we've got two games really bunched up and then one game as a standalone at the beginning of the week? Give me more hockey, Gary Bettman. Yeah, I mean, they got Winnipeg tonight. They got Carolina on Thursday and then they got Minnesota on Saturday. Minnesota, by the way, one of the strangest teams in the, in the league right now. Like they're conceding a lot of goals for some reason, even though like they should be 
good defensively. Like that was part of this. That was part of the reason why they won so many games last season. I even drafted Philip Gustafson in my fantasy hockey league, and he's been destroying my team. And I don't like it. I don't appreciate it. I've had I had a lot of faith in this man, and he's giving up a lot of goals. And I'm mad about it. All good. All good. I'm mad about it, but I'm all good. But yeah, this like that. That's just a wild team. Haha, wild team. Uh, but like. This is okay. All right, whatever. But against Winnipeg, there Winnipeg is a is a, just a strangely built team where Hellebuck reportedly again wanted out. They didn't really know what to do with Shifley. They didn't know what to do with Ehlers. They didn't know what to do with their core. <clears throat> gave them contracts. Gave them long term contracts. Hellebuck has is essentially going to be a Jet for for life now. Okay. Then what? You look at the le- you look at the rest of their team and you go, this is this is the team that gave Connor Hellman a kind of lifetime contract. Like, this is this is who they're putting around him. Like this this screams like early 2010s Rangers, where they had Henrik Lundqvist, and that was kind of it. Scott Gomez and Wade Redden not moving yeah, the needle for you. Uh, yeah, and Stu Bickle, they had him too. But like that that is what this team reminds me of, which of course means that the Winnipeg Jets are going to score nine goals tonight and and dominate, and that that that'll be that. But like, I just want to see more of the same that we saw in recent games. Of I want to see structure. I want to see how they respond. Hey, you know we've 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 won four games in a row. Let's make it five. Let let's let's keep the ball rolling. I the the one thing I don't want to see is them to kind of let let off the gas pedal. Oh, we've won four in a row. We've got the structure down, so all good until March. I don't want to see that. Right. That that the whole point, as we talked about, is built is continuing to build good habits. Is continuing to understand that these at every regular season game is important. Yes, we're a we're a, a really you know a good team, and we're going to make the playoffs and all these things. But we still have to continue to build on the good foundation that we've built for ourselves, and to continue on you know etching away. And then when we get to the playoffs, we'll we'll be a well-oiled machine because we've spent the last few months perfecting our craft. I want to see more of that. Obviously, the ideal is winning every game for the rest of, for, until the end of time. The ideal for for any week is two and one. That's like that. That's the ideal in in the real world. Because then you just cruise in the playoffs, and then that that you just you know like that. That's that's the ideal in in a realistic setting. I would like to see them beat Winnipeg, if only to complete this this road trip with all five wins, first time in franchise history. They'd be able to do that. So that'd be that'd be very that'd be just cool for them to for them to come back home and then play Carolina on Thursday. I just want to see more of the same. I want to see how they deal with okay we won four in a row but now this is going to be a winnipeg team that's hungry to win they're at home they want you know they want to continue to build on their end as well but i i i just want to see how they respond to we've won a bunch of games sure cool let's keep we want more. doing that i want that that's that's what i want to see what about you yeah i more of the same, continuing to build on good habits. Something I thought of while you were talking that I was genuinely, I couldn't think of an answer. When was the last time the Rangers had somebody with Will Cooley's skill set? Because I am struggling to think of anybody who has kind of fit that bill other than Kreider like 10 years ago when he first came up. And that's really the only guy I could think of. The big, physical, really fast, likes to hit people, decent goal-scoring touch because he's made a real difference on this team. And he's been good enough that we're, we're all kind of like, whatever, with 
with Blake Wheeler being bad. That's how good Will yeah. Cooley's been. That he's totally eclipsing the fact he's playing with a guy on his line who's giving them nothing. He's looked really good. And remember when we had Sam Rosen on the show before the season, he talked about how Will yeah. Cooley was a lot closer to making the team than Othman, and he liked Will Cooley's game. I mean, he he foreshadowed it pretty damn well. Uh, Will Cooley's looked like an NHLer. He's looked completely like he's you know he's built for the moment. He's built like somebody that you know is here to prove that he's going to stay here. And he's looked really good. He's, he hasn't looked out of place. He's, you know, he's scored, I think he scored a couple of, at least one goal, I think he scored two maybe, but like, he's he's looked good. He's somebody that is never afraid of getting into the dirty areas. He's controlling possession also, which I, which I really like from him. Like, he's just a player that looks like he's been in the league for a long time. When was the last time, <laughs> oh when was the last time a Rangers forward that was making their debut actually looked good off rip? I cannot think of a forward the Rangers debuted that they looked comfortable right away. Derek Stepon had a hat trick in his debut. That might be the last one against against Buffalo. And that was what, 2010? Uh, It was a long time ago. Yeah, a hat trick. Yeah, I I know he had a hat trick first game. I always use him whenever it's hat trick in in Immaculate Grid or Puckpedia for the Rangers or Carolina, etc. But I'm struggling to think of another Rangers forward, at least, who's played off rip this good. Because, like, Adam Fox was this good out of the box. He he was. They took him out of the box, and he took the job from Truba as the first pair right D within a month of being on the team. He was that good. But if you have an answer to that question, by all means, please let us know the last time a Rangers forward hit the opening night roster and was this good off rip because I don't, I don't know. He didn't make the opening night roster, but I do remember when they debuted him in the playoffs that Chris Kreider was pretty good. Yes. He looked ready to go. Yeah. Cause he, he was also, he what two years of college hockey before yeah. he played. So he was, he had a little more seasoning on him than Cooley did, but still that we're talking about like 10 years ago, the last time a Rangers prospect debuted and actually looked comfortable right away. Cause that matters. And that's something I think we can tie a, a bow on and wrap this episode up with before we talk about one more thing is just the confidence and the, I don't want to say familiarity because that's not the right word, but the attitude, the mentality, the comfort level, all of that stuff bleeds into how confident the team is playing. And that's a real, that is a having a real impact on guys like Kako, like Lafreniere, like Will Cooley, that, okay, we're playing really well and I'm a part of this. It is encouraging creative play. It is encouraging exciting play frankly and those two things aren't necessarily correlated you can be a good team and not be exciting to watch you think about some of the teams of recent history but they are playing with a ton of confidence and it's making everybody better and that's part of why i feel like the vibes are so good right now especially on social media is that the team's playing well everybody's in agreement that they're playing well and they still can get a little bit better and the team is actively having fun while they're playing this way it's it's just really good to see. And again, I don't want to get too over hopeful. You know, this is like this is just because it's sports. This is how you get let down very, very catastrophically if you if you kind of let hope dictate. You know how how you feel about a team, but they've genuinely looked really good. Yeah, they they had a stinker against Columbus. They had a stinker a stinker against Nashville, but against you know Vancouver was a really good team. They they looked really solid when they played them. Like that was not a team that they could just roll over, you know, and and just kind of look forward, look for the next game. Like the the Canucks this season look like a dangerous team, but the Rangers 
maybe they shouldn't have won that game, but they did anyway. They found a way. They they found a way. They right. They found a way, which is the most important thing. Like you know, I understand McDavid didn't play in Edmonton, but they still shut him out. Seattle is a good team, and they handled them pretty well. Yeah, Calgary's uh, Calgary's definitely one of the teams of all time right now, and they are struggle busting really, really hard. But you still like, you know, if let's say Calgary does win that game, and then they get they get the ball rolling, and then all of a sudden like that fixes their season as an example. The Rangers didn't let that happen. They did. They're they're doing a really good job of playing whoever's in front of them. Because what they used to do in the past, especially against teams like Arizona and you know other bad teams, they would just show up, pretend that they've already won the game, and then look for, forward to the next one. Now it seems like, yeah, there's a little bit of that in Columbus. There's a little bit of that in Nashville. But like they've done a, a much better job of being like, forget who we play after this. Let's just focus on winning this game, playing the right way this game, and then we'll focus on who we're playing the next game. I think they've done a better job of that. And again, like it's just one of those things where I don't want to get too hopeful about it, but they've genuinely looked like a, like a well-oiled machine, and I can't help but be a little bit hopeful, like I'll be honest. All right, last thing I want to touch on on today's episode. Uh, what happened to Adam Johnson is terrible. Yeah. Uh, there's, no other, there's no other conversation that needs to be had beyond how do we make sure this doesn't happen again. Yeah. That, that, that is the beginning and the end of the conversation for me in regards to safety. We harp on safety a lot in regards to fighting, hits to the head. This is something we, we cannot entirely prevent. There are always going to be accidents, tragedies. There are more things hockey in general, not just the NHL can do. That's all I ask. We need I, – I struggle to imagine the NHL will institute any type of mandatory equipment changes before the season ends because of the way the NHL operates. But it should not take the loss of life for people to be actively trying to make the game safer. That is the most – that's the most upsetting thing about this is it took someone dying for everybody to have a conversation about something that, frankly, everybody should kind of be. What do you mean they don't have any protection on their wrists or throat? What do you mean that they're on the ice against people who have knives on their shoes? What do you mean we're not trying to make the game even safer? That's part of making the game better is making it safer so more people can experience it at every level. I would like to see something. I hope the NHL does something. I really, unfortunately, doubt the NHL does anything. It ju- it starts with the grassroots. You yeah. need to have minor leagues and peewee leagues and, and all the other leagues, you know, throughout North America and obviously also, you know, beyond as well. But if you wanted to trickle it into the NHL, you got to start in the North American atmosphere. You have to mandate neck protection. And I don't, I mean, I don't, I'm sure they do make like wrist protectors and all that. I'm sure they do. I haven't seen them like out in the wild. So I can't, you know, speak to, I was also a goalie growing up. So like, I, I can't really speak to if they help, if they maybe hinder your ability to, to, to stick handle. I don't, I can't really speak to that. So I don't know. Um, and I won't pretend that I know, like, listen, it's okay not to know things, right? You could just be like, yo, I don't know. And that's, that's what I'm doing right now. So I can't speak to wrist protectors, but I feel like neck protectors are such like, and uh, such a small thing to one be mad. People have been mad about it. I've seen people flail on Twitter about how dare you, you know, try to say that like neck protectors are like a good thing. Like, get 
dude, those people, I don't know, I don't know what they're doing. I, I haven't, I have no rebuttal to, towards what they're what they're saying. But it's just like, uh, it's such a small detail that one, it doesn't change the way that you play, right? At, at least with wrist protectors, I can see where there's a potential for it to maybe impede the way you stick handle or move your wrist or I don't know. With neck protectors, it's like dog. All you're doing is, you know, looking left and right to, like that, that's not gonna change the way you look. I, I get it's not very cool, but like, would you rather have it on your neck or the alternative? That and that's the thing here. We're we're not talking about like play. We're talking about life and death. Which every now and then, when sports grazes life and death situations, you need to see fundamental changes to improve upon it. Hopefully this is the catalyst for that change that we all need because we all love hockey, but we don't want to have to grapple with these types of situations. It's terrible what happened. Uh, I know the Penguins are doing stuff for him. He was a Penguins alumni, played a couple games for them a few years ago. You just want to see something, some type of change from the NHL. What And like you said, the way you do this is you start at lower levels so that by the time guys get to the NHL, it's all they've ever known. They're not going to ask any questions about it, whatever. There seems to be an issue with Nick's connection. But in any case, yeah, like I, I agree with what he's saying. Like if you start from four-year-olds, five-year-olds, by the time they get to the NHL, they're never going to question and, and they'll, like, it'll be it'll be norm for them. But in any case, uh, Nick is frozen, so all good for Nick Zarars, and I'm Andrew Chelly. This has been Liberty Blue Podcast. Really appreciate all y'all's time for stopping in and listening to us talk about the Rangers and the NHL at large. We will talk to you next week.